Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. It's Kirsty and Isaac from Real Coaching here again. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Rob Tabraka, who is the founder of Finance Insight Matters, and along with his co-founder, Maj Juso, they have worked for the past few years on a mission to help e-commerce sellers understand their business better by following the key data points that help tell people what actions they need to take in their business. Awesome. Yeah, so that's right. So welcome, Rob, and thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Now, of course, we're going to jump into all the cool stuff that Amazon sellers need to know. And it's a it's an awesome subject for people because I think it's something that we all want to know about, but we don't really think about <laughs> that often. Or we, we do an ostrich, right? We kind of stick our head in the sand and hope it's all going to work out by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but really, we'd like to hear a little bit more about how you became part of Finance Insight Matters and also how your experience has helped you give insights and solutions for e-commerce sellers and also Amazon yeah. sellers as well. I'll spare the whole long version of the backstory, uh, but I started my career in banking and I spent a year and a half in a big bank in Europe and I learned a lot there and I hated the big organization. Um, so when they sent me to China for a project, I finished the project in China and then I quit the job there um, to start a technology and investment company. So with our co-founder, we built a couple of technology companies there but after seven years, we kind of had to draw the conclusion that if you're working in China as a foreigner and you don't have really deep pockets, it's an impossible market to conquer. So I stepped out and went back into finance. And initially I started uh, as a consultant working with a couple of SaaS companies and a couple of e-commerce companies, uh, foreign owned in China. And that slowly, slowly started to roll into a full service consulting business. But we got really frustrated along the way. Almost all of the clients we started working with, the first thing we would ask is, can you show us the numbers? Like, can you show us your reports? What are we working with? Where do we start? And in nine out of 10 cases, the answer was, well, we don't really have reports or we don't really have the books in order. So that led me uh, last year together with Match to set up Inside Matters um, because every business owner should have their numbers in order, should have their, their reporting in order so that they can make better decisions. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think we've all probably been guilty of it. It's one of those, and we've just done a podcast recently where we were talking about when we start a business, we want to be focused on the growth, right? We want to be focused on the yeah. fun stuff. We want to be focused on the marketing and the product selection. And then the finance bit, we're pretty much like, oh yeah, well, of course we want the money, but we don't want to, we don't want to kind of hinder ourselves by thinking about, well, can I actually afford to spend this money? Or then also, I suppose you could probably see people go the other way as well. And they're like, they don't want to spend any money. Right. And so yeah. they don't even know how to grow. So I think that's, it's awesome what you're doing because it's like, it's like financial, what do you call it? Um, you know, literacy, right? It's like, if you can read yeah. something, you need to be able to read the numbers as well and see a picture that, that forms in front of you, because that's, that's one thing I love about data. I was rubbish at math at school. I hate it. All right. I hate all that kind of hypothetical stuff, but when it comes to business, once you get a real good handle on the numbers, 
it starts to become like leverage, I think. And also you can make key decisions. So I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. Yeah. I think once uh, that I've... money turned from ethereal or hypothetical into, Hey, can I take a vacation this month? It became a lot more important. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the thing is, it's not so much about the entrepreneurs not being data savvy, because if you ask them for the marketing numbers, I'm going to say most of them know exactly what it is. It's more that finance is the afterthought. It's like the one thing that the accountant needs to do at the end of the year for the taxes, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And yeah, totally. I used to work in a corporate organization and I was in marketing and my finance director, we used to have to do accrual accounting every month which was basically, I mean, just to explain for people, it's once we've actually done a project, we'd have to accrue what we spent for that project when we're actually going to get the sale. And as marketers, we hated it. And so he used to actually come around in our, and give and, and put a gun, <laughs> not a real gun, like a picture of a gun on our, um, on our door when we'd got it wrong, basically. And pretty much every marketer, we were like, have you been shot by wow. Steven? We're like, yeah, we've been shot by, <laughs> we've been shot again wow, by that's Steven. that's harsh. It was but harsh, it works. But, it worked and I still remember it, right? So it definitely worked. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Pretty interesting way to go through a, a marketing and a financial marketing exercise, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot the marketers that get it wrong. Yeah. So to kind of get back to the e-commerce side of it, uh, obviously, Rob, this is the type of things that you've been working with uh, people for quite a few years now. Obviously, you know, I had asked you right before this call, like kind of what's the first thing that you actually ask people, Hey, sh show me this. So that way I can see where you're at. Because I think most people, if they're trying to, you know, quote unquote, do the accounting themselves or the finances themselves, they're not going to have any systems. They're not going to have any reports. You know, some of them might've set up QuickBooks and just have all their receipts going into that and don't know what to do with it. But what's the first thing that you kind of do when you start, you know, looking in, into how to help somebody? The first things we do is two parts. The first thing we ask is, what are you trying to achieve? Like, what's your goal? Because that makes all the difference on how we look at the numbers. The second thing is, show me the books. No matter how messy or how horrible they are, but show me what you got, because that still helps to understand where you are. And in that, when we get them, we go through the P&L first. That's the, the most straightforward. Everybody understands revenue. I hope everybody understands cost of goods sold. And then we go down to the operating expenses, to so your marketing, your overhead expenses, uh, to the net profit. And usually that already triggers a couple of questions left and right. After that, we look at the cash flow statements and the balance sheets to see if they're accurate, at least what's going on, what money is coming in, what money is going out, when is it coming in, et cetera. Then we start asking about the supply chain. What are your payment terms to your suppliers? If you're on doing Amazon, uh, the payment terms on the receiving side are clear, but if you do other sales as well, what payment terms do you have there? Mm -hmm. um, how are you financed? Because that's usually a very easy, quick win. Um, and there's one that is in my head that I forgot now. It's okay. So I think, I think maybe if I ask this next question, maybe it can trigger as well, but yeah. um, you know, there's probably a lot of things that people are missing. And as we, as we mentioned at first, you know, there's, there's going to be things that people are scared to do. There's going to be things that people have no knowledge of. Maybe they don't even know these things are even important. They don't know about them. 
So what do you think are some of the key concepts about the financial side of the business that people just tend to ignore, don't know about, or need a lot of help with? Well, you're right. It triggers me because the first thing that we check is if business and private is fully separated. Assuming they have an entity, there's too many Amazon sellers that have Amazon payout to their personal bank accounts. Yep. Stop that immediately. That's the worst thing you can do. Other things they get wrong is they use way too expensive financing. So they pay inventory on a credit card with 30% interest. That's, you, that's almost always an easy win to uh, increase profitability. Another one is that often a lot of costs are ignored. So that could be the founder's own salary that's not being paid because he doesn't recognize or he or she doesn't think the business is big enough to pay him or herself. So they don't book in a salary for the founder. That's definitely something you need to do. But also a lot of expenses that you may make privately that are actually for the business that you forget to expense or reimburse. Yeah. Yeah. No, we see. I, well, I think we've all been probably guilty of a little bit of it as well. But the biggest thing we see, as you just said, there is people not paying themselves. I think because usually, you know, people start this business when they're working full time and they want to see if it gets going first. Right. And so they kind of always treat it like a side hustle and not as actually starting it off from scratch as though they are the full time in the business. And so it then I think becomes a lot harder. I think one thing that we found that um, a lot of people kind of justify it to themselves is, well, I want to reinvest everything back to grow. I don't need the money yet because I need to, um, you know, I've still got my full-time job. So how do you, how do you kind of work with people like that? What would be your kind of roadmap for people that have kind of got that situation going on? And, and, you know, because really you need to start taking the salary. So, you know, it's going to, it's going to secure you for when you actually want to leave the job. That's always a difficult trade-off because if, as long as it's like a really early stage side hustle, sure. Don't pay yourself a full salary from that because that's going to harm your growth. Once you get to the point that you start thinking about going full-time, at least set the level that you want to be paying yourself once you're full-time. That's step one. Mm -hmm. And then the closer you get, I'm going to say at least three months before you actually make the jump and go full-time, at that point, start paying it and see if the business can keep growing. So so you pay yourself a double salary, essentially. You get your corporate full-time job and you have uh, your own business for a couple of months overlap. If the business can sustain that and it doesn't harm growth, it doesn't harm your ad spend, et cetera, then it's safe enough to, to uh, resign, quit your job and go full-time. But at yeah. least at that point, you confirm that you can pay yourself and that the business can thrive. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's awesome advice, I think, because um, we, we do see a lot of people have got great businesses, but they're still scared to actually leave their full-time job because they still don't believe it's actually going to pay them in the future. So I think that's that's a, a great way to do it. Also, one thing that we really focus on as well, um, which I think is what you're echoing, is start with the goal in mind. Like how much income do you actually want to make, not how many sales do you want to get? Um, obviously, you need the sales to get the income, but we really start first with the income goal and then we work back to the profit goal and then we work back to the sales goal from there. So um, I think- Please keep preaching that because that is so important. Yeah, because otherwise you don't know where, what's how many sales you're actually going to need to be able to deliver the profit and also deliver the income as well, right? And, and most people focus on the revenue. 
So I want to have a seven-figure e-commerce business. Yeah. Cool. But if you're a seven-figure revenue and you're loss-making, it's kind of useless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's 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 funny. It's a, it's a it's an interesting thing, you know, mindset shift for people to have. But it's awesome to hear it from a financial expert and not necessarily just from myself and Isaac, you know, but I think it's great to hear it from your perspective as well. Yeah. Um, and I love another thing that you guys do is I think this is always what I wanted an accountant to do is be a strategist, right? And so I think the way that you're kind of talking about it is you're actually helping people manage and leverage their cash as opposed to just reporting what the cash is. I think that's a key difference because some people might be like, well, I've got an accountant. Why do I need, you know, someone like financial insight matters, right? So I think, can maybe you can explain a little bit about that, like the difference between an accountant, a bookkeeper and, and what yeah. you guys do? We also offer bookkeeping exactly because there are two very, very different things. So there are separate teams with us as well. A bookkeeper, a good bookkeeper tracks what happened and, and registers and records it properly. And that's it. The level of the translation to, hey, what does this mean? Is, a, is usually for most bookkeepers a step too far. That's just not how they think. So that's where the reporting comes in. Uh, that's where a dashboard with, with, uh, with coding and benchmarking and, and uh, uh, targets come in. And the level above that is what conclusion do you as the owner need to draw from this metric, from this number? If your, um, your gross profit margin is declining, you would expect that's a bad thing. But you need to understand the story behind that to see if that's actually as bad as it may look. Yeah. Maybe your gross margin is dropping because you just launched a new product and you're giving a lot of discounts initially. So somebody needs to know that and look at that whole picture, understand where you're going to translate the information that the bookkeeper produces into something that you as the owner can use to make decisions. Yeah, I think that's a really good important point because... It's it's really the, the financial stuff or the analysis is there to help you make key decisions as opposed to either feel great about yourself or bad about yourself in terms of like what's going on in the business, right? So with yeah. that said- um, I was just going to say real quick before well, you move on real quick. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever had an accountant say, hey, you know what? Your advertising was a little bit higher this month. What was that about? And, and should we focus on maybe bringing that down for next month? That's never happened. <laughs> No, that's not how they think. And yeah. to be honest, that's not their role. That's not how they're trained. That's not in their system. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a reporting as opposed to an analysis, right? Yeah. Um, so we know we need to follow the data. And we also see a lot of people, you know, trying to wing it a little bit um, and go on their instincts maybe a little bit as well, despite all the advice, you know, suggesting it's a bad idea. Have you ever worked with with people that you know, you're really trying to convince them that their instincts may not actually get them to where they want to go. And if there's anybody listening that's a bit like that, they're like, yeah, I kind of know what you're saying, but I really think this, you know, how, how have you worked with those people to kind of maybe get them to make a breakthrough in their business? Usually when, when, they, when people come to us to work with us, they realize that their gut feeling may be good, but it's definitely not flawless. <laughs> and the gut feeling and the data are two sides of the of the story. If they align, it's a super clear, double confirmed yes or no. If they are uh, contradicting with each other, that's when a discussion should happen. 
And that's when, and that's honestly where our role would stop because at that point we can explain where the number comes from. We can explain what it means, but it's always up to the business owner to conclude, no, I'm going to say my gut feeling is better because I understand the markets. And sometimes they're right. I've seen people launch a new product at a price point that we said that's never going to fly based on the ad spend that you have for your other products. This price point, you cannot make this profitable, but they did. So the data is super important, but it's not always the full story. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, and I like that because, you know, we, we say the exact same things, especially when it comes to like, you know, knowing our, our sales and, 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 and metrics for our products and everything. Right. So it's like, we, we try to get all the information we can from all the resources and all the research that we can do, but it's never going to be, the data is never going to be perfect either. And neither is the gut instinct. Right. So they got to come together at some point of confidence level, right. You got to have like 70% confidence in the data to get you, you know, all the way to that hundred percent. I'm just going to go ahead and go forward with that. Right. Um, so I think that's one of those things that if, if you don't have data and you don't do any research, you're totally blind and you make no, it makes no sense to just go on, on instinct and gut. But if you at least get to like maybe a 70% confidence level, it's probably okay yeah. to go ahead and move forward. Would you kind of agree with that? Uh, absolutely. But it, and, um, if you're talking about how to improve your existing products and incre increase your profitability on those, you should have more historical data. So you should have a higher level of confidence. Yeah. If it's about new product launches, yeah, you have comparable data from other products and you have comparable data from your compared some data from your competitors, but the level of gut feeling there is always going to be more than in a product with a five-year track record. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the longer the story, the the it's it's I always related to the movie Groundhog Day, where he's living the same day over and over and over and over again. So he gets to know everybody in the town, knows everything about them. It's like, if you just are in that market long enough, you'll start to really understand everything about that market, those products. But it's when it changes or you come in with a new product that you're never going to be as confident as, as knowing all that stuff. So that's good, good insights there. And so just, uh, you know, for Amazon sellers, uh, obviously is, is our target audience is going to be listening to this. How does finance insight matters actually help Amazon solve uh, Amazon sellers solve some of these massive challenges for themselves? The beauty of Amazon is that it takes a lot of work out of their hands, right? So yep. the platform is there the channel is there, the infrastructure is there. And a lot of the basic reporting is there where we step in usually with Amazon sellers is a, if they also selling on Shopify or other channels, so in that case, you have segregated data and we make it company wide. And if they're only on Amazon, we would usually focus on the operating expenses part of the business. So we take the data from Amazon in there, we add the marketing spend, we add um, uh, all the other expenses in the business and give the total picture company wide, but we would rely heavily on the data that Amazon gives. Yeah. yeah One I, thing I, where I'm, I'm really annoyed with Amazon usually is if you look at the return on marketing spend, Amazon gives you amazing metrics, but that's usually based on the direct ad spend that Amazon can see. Yeah. The marketing team that you're paying is not included in there. So your actual return on marketing spend is lower because your costs are higher. Yeah. Say you're spending $2,000 for a team every month. That $2,000 is not included in the ad spend. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good, good point because I think a lot of people, you know, They'll say, oh, I'm, I'm not making as much money as I expected. 
Um, and then you go in there and you look, okay, so the Amazon data suggests that your FBA fees have increased over the last couple of months. Your selling prices come down because you're trying to keep competitive with the market and your cost of goods has not gone down at all. You haven't renegotiated any of that stuff. So you can say, you've got some steps here, renegotiate your cost of goods, probably want to raise your price, even if it, unless it's going to lose all your sales, obviously, but you can test the price and then figure out exactly, you know, if the FBA fees are actually accurate, or if you've been kind of put into a wrong FBA fees category, because these are all things that add up sale after sale after sale. It's like you're losing, you know, 10, 15, 20 cents on every single sale, maybe more that you could have had back, you know, for years, if you had just followed that and, and kept that, uh, kept an eye on the ball, basically. True. Although my experience is that most sellers are fairly on top of their profit margins. So well, you're, cost you're working sold? with a lot better, higher level sellers than us, I think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think, in terms I guess it depends revenue, on when, when they come to you, they might be in that, 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 that boat of, hey, I think I know what I'm doing, but let me get some even more clarity because we have a lot of people come to us that say, we're thinking we need, we need to get some, some patches in our boat. Um, let me... I think we're at the same level of boat, but different boats, because the people that we come to us usually in terms of revenue, pricing, cost of sold, they're pretty on top of what they're paying. FBA yeah. fees, different story. Yeah. The biggest problem that we see is that people don't know their cash conversion cycle. Yeah. They don't know, they don't realize how expensive it is to pre-finance inventory yeah. and how long the lead times are and how long it takes before the money they spend now to purchase the inventory before that comes back into their bank accounts. Yep. Yeah. So the, the big hole in the boat is on the cash flow side, usually, at least from what we see. That is 100% what we see just because people are like, oh, let me launch five new products this year. Um, are you sure about that? Like, uh, how much money do you have in your bank right now? How much money are you returning every month? And then how long can you wait for this money to come back? Because um, yeah. long story short, Kirsty and I both have had that issue of, hey, let's launch a bunch of products at once and then realize that we've got to wait, you know, eight months for that money to come back. And you're like, that strains cash flow for a long time, especially if you need to then order for your current products for quarter four or something like that. And yeah. you can't even stock it up properly. Yeah. And that adds up. Yeah, yeah totally. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's seeing the same, seeing the same problems. And one thing that we really focus on with people is when they're actually planning out their, even their product launches is understanding the lead times, obviously. Also understanding um, the how much stock you should hold, especially at the moment, because you know we've got lots of hybrid situations going on where with Amazon FBA sellers, where Amazon FBA is shrinking, and so we have to have a hybrid solution. So we have to probably have more stock in the supply chain, you know, longer shipping times, all that other stuff, and they all just come at once, right? It's like a train. Yeah. It's not like you can even plan for that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, you know, just having that balance of um, understanding the, like you said, the cash flow cycle, as well as how much money you've got to spend, right? Because if you put all your money in one one pot and one piece of stock, then um, and then it takes like twelve months to sell through, then you're pretty much buggered. <laughs> That's a very British way of putting it, but yes. <laughs> and what the the number one thing that that people can do to not solve it because the problem is usually too big for that, but to alleviate it is to not focus on the price that they pay to their supplier, 
But instead of renegotiating the purchase price, we renegotiate the payment terms. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a massive difference. Yeah. It's it's the the mindset of I need to get the stock to be able to grow the bit, well, to be able to sell anything, right? That's a number one priority. And therefore, if I can actually negotiate payment terms, maybe even pay more per per unit, but yeah. less upfront and more when it's sold. And so yeah. I think that's kind of like the scenario there that that you're that you're talking about because the payment terms then become a lot more important than the actual physical like cost of goods unit person that you're selling, right? Yeah. If you're if you're buying a product and uh, you can get like a two percent discount on the price because you purchase more, most buyers, most e-commerce sellers would take that hands down. But if you instead you would keep paying the same price, but instead of paying everything up front, you pay everything when it arrives at Amazon. So let's say three months later, depending on how your cost of capital. So if you're paying 30% interest on a credit card, it's way cheaper to pay more to your supplier, but pay three months later, than pay a little bit less, but then pay triple that amount to the credit card company. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Especially when you put it like that. Right. And I think it's good putting it in real world terms for people because it's almost like we do transactions separate, right? We're not, we're not kind of yeah. thinking about, okay, well that transaction that I made five months ago is actually going to have an impact further down the track when it cost me 30% more. And if I put it into my terms, when I was in my twenties, when I got my first credit card and uh, I went out and splurged and bought a load of designer gear. Right. And then I'm like, yeah. And it was on sale. Nah, not, not when I finished paying for it like five years later, right? <laughs> when I had to, you know, pay off all my interest and everything. That I thought, yeah, they were the biggest, you know, they were the most expensive jeans I ever bought. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's the same with your stock as well. Totally. So in terms of, um, you mentioned whether a seller is self-financed or not is a big deal, right? So can you explain what, what the best financing means for sellers? You know, what, what type of financing do you see is the best? There is not one best option. Um, the cheapest option from a uh, out-of-pocket perspective is self-financing. But self-financing is actually really expensive because that means that you're not paying yourself that salary or you're paying yourself less or you're not paying yourself like the dividend or at least you keep the money in the business. So that means that you personally have less money. So you have more risk. But I found that a really expensive option. In general, for a bit more established e-commerce companies, a old-fashioned bank loan is usually one of the cheapest, simplest options, but it requires usually a bit of track record and a bunch of paperwork before you can apply for that. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of saying what the best one is, let me put it what the worst one is, and that's usually credit cards. I know the air miles that you get are, uh, especially for the Americans, are super tempting uh, and if you have the discipline to pay off within the 30 days, then that works. But if you overrun, credit cards are an insanely expensive option. And I'm also not a very big fan of Amazon loans because, yes, they are very easy to get. And the interest rate is substantially lower than a credit card. But they take it directly from your revenue. Mm. So you hand over a lot of control to them with that. Uh, yeah. If you would like to 
pause the payment for a second so you can purchase more inventory, that's not going to fly with them. So they can be functional if there's no other better option available, but keep in mind that they're quite expensive. Yeah. yeah. So what would you, if you had, um, well, actually, I was just going to ask you about what types of sellers or when, when does it make sense for a seller to come in and say, work with, with someone like you guys? Um, you know, is it a certain type of business or a certain um, level of business? What makes it a good, not a good client, but more, more or less it makes sense for them to come and work with you? Um, for e-commerce, for us, the sweet spot is usually between one and 10 million revenue. If it's less than 10 million, um, usually the business is probably a bit more simple. So our level of analysis doesn't really add that much uh, because usually the founder or the owner uh, can comprehend it himself. And if you're well over 10 million, it's probably time to get somebody in-house full-time dedicated because the size, the complexity and, and the amounts involved get so high that you want to be uh, more on top of that yourself. Mm-hmm. What about maybe people that are below a million, but they've got a lot of complexity in their business. So, you know, we, we do see yeah. a lot of people that come to us, for instance, and they're like, I've got 50 products, but they'll be doing $10,000 revenue a month and not much profit. Um, so there's a lot of complexity going on there. And a lot of the things I think that we just talked about would probably be present in their business. So would you do you guys do like a one-off kind of consult consultation for things like that to help them kind of figure stuff out? We can. And we we have a, a game plan, which is like a, a one-time project where we identify what your goals are. We break down into what the key metrics are and uh, that you should focus on and how you should uh, adjust your bookkeeping or set up your bookkeeping if needed to make sure you can measure those KPIs. And at the same time, we do a one-off review uh, with uh, quite some direction on where to go and how to do that. But in the situation you sketch, I would say, of course, happy to come knocking on our door, but simplifying the business would be a uh, easier way to go to than adding our level of complexity to an already complex business. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. So anybody in that situation, just come to us and we'll sort you out, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that. I like that analogy because it's it's something that we always talk about uh, is simplifying the business because the more complex you make your business, especially at the start, if you're not hitting the the goals and and money that you want, you're you're basically confusing yourself more and more and more, and it becomes more of a, you know, one of those things that like you're never gonna. It's like a quagmire. You're just never gonna figure it out because you haven't cracked the the ability to understand how to make any single product successful or multiple products successful, let alone go out and then just sell a bunch of other stuff just because you think that's what's what's next. It's probably better to get some advice on how to make the ones that you have work, work better and get rid of the ones that you that are basically not working. Yeah, because you can look at it from the purely from the from the finance side and see how much if it, how much money you have tied up in inventory, how much your ad spend is, etc. But the management time, the brain capacity from the owner is also split over all those different products and problems. Yeah, that's asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you, you've just like in in this one um, episode, you've basically summed up our entire coaching program and all the episodes <laughs> of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, that's it. That's, that's all there is to selling on Amazon. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> uh-huh. 
yeah no it's it's no it's good well then they've got to sort it out right so yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no it's good i think um it it's it's difficult for people to see until they've experienced it. I think yeah. that's kind of one of those things, um, especially when you first start out in the business. You have no concept, even though you might work in a business and you might even have a corporate role in business or you've got a business degree. Um, it's really difficult to comprehend it until you're running and managing all those things, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, And then I the think- problem is that most entrepreneurs are insanely optimistic and in some cases even arrogant that they think they can rule the world and they can do it. Yeah. And what we see is that everybody who comes to us hit the wall before. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Run into the wall and yeah, knock themselves out, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, you mentioned a game plan there. So um, we'll put a, maybe we can put a link to that in the bottom of the, the show notes here, which would be awesome. And if our audience have got any questions, how can people get in touch with you? Obviously, we'll put a link like below, like I said, but how, what's the best way to get in contact? Uh, the best way to get in contact is either visit the company website, financeinsightmatters.com, or connect with me directly uh, through connectrob.com. Awesome. And is there any um, any other insights, any other kind of like burning things that you were like, you know, I really want people to walk away with this that we, we haven't already spoken about? Well, we have already spoken about it, but I really want to hammer it home to everybody again and again and again. Cash flow is more important than profit. And I know that is kind of undermining the name of the podcast and the program. <laughs> but if you don't have cash flow, profit is really expensive because yeah. it's Absolutely. then it's fictional and on paper. Don't yeah. worry, we've got a whole webinar about that, so that's fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the name of our program and podcast, Sprint to Profit, I think is more to catch people's thought process yeah. as they're thinking about profit because most people don't think about cash flow first. Exactly. If we said Sprint to cash flow, yeah. people would be like, I don't well, care. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> totally yeah. agree. Yeah. So yeah, that's great advice though because we, we obviously, once people come in, we get them to think about it. The cash flow is, is by far the more important uh, thing. Obviously, taking profit and making things profitable is is your first task. But then to be able to get that money coming in on a cyclical yeah. basis to where then you can afford to grow the business and pay yourself, that is the end goal of any business. If it doesn't pay you and it doesn't pay for itself to grow, then the business is going to die, essentially. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Well, obviously, we want to thank you, Rob, for coming on. Uh, you know, a lot of great insights and, and basically how to use financial data to help build the business better than ever. And, you know, keep in mind, guys, cash flow is that important. Um, you know, just knowing your profit margins isn't going to really help you if you're running out of money and you can't grow the business or pay yourself. So, guys, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share our podcast with friends who might get value out of it as well. Also, to get some free training on what it takes to have a successful business to fuel your lifestyle, head to goteamreal.com to download our free training today. And we'll see you next week for the next Sprint to Profit episode. And as always, we wish you the best for you and your business. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.